Amen. We're going to take a little bit of a break today from our Ephesians series. And, and um, Lord willing, I'm going to start again next Sunday. I'm not, I'm not dead set on that. I know it, is the first, it will be the first Sunday of the new year. This is the last Sunday of 2021. And God's blessed us with uh, truly a, a wonderful year in a lot of different ways. We, we, um, we've been blessed to see a number of people baptized, converted and baptized. A lot, a lot of children this year, part of our church family, have been baptized. And, um, and we're grateful for God's work. The best year that we've ever had as far as our giving is concerned, and God's blessed us to be able to invest ourselves even more into some ministries that mean a lot to us. And we're grateful for that opportunity, um, as well as expanding our ministry here. Um, I, I, I plan to start back next week in Ephesians talking about the family and, um, and how our relationship with Christ uh, should impact the family unit. But we're going to take a little bit different path today. Um, I don't give Chris and or Edward enough credit for the work that they do. Both of them do a phenomenal job working with the young people of this church. And they're not just pastors to the young people. They are pastors to you in many ways, too. And, um, and I'm grateful for their ministry. I don't, I don't have to micromanage them because they do an exceptional job. Um, fulfilling God's calling on their life. I don't worry about them and what they're doing. I, they're, they, don't, they don't do anything but help me um, in my ministry, and I'm profoundly grateful for them. The one thing that I regret is that I don't give them a lot of opportunities to preach to the adults. And um, when we, Since we don't have Sunday night services, I'm a lot more possessive of the pulpit than I used to be. But um, they are completely capable of preaching to adults as well as they do um, those children. And so we're going to do something a little different this morning, and we're going to do some tag team preaching. I'm going to preach the, the, the um, beginning and the ending, but um, I'm going to call them up, and they're going to preach between me. And while we preach, just want to cast a little bit of a vision. The Bible said where there is no vision, um, the people perish. And I understand there's some different interpretations of that passage of Scripture, but I really believe part of our responsibility as leaders is to be forward-looking, forward-thinking, and look for areas that we might be falling short in. I do this in my own personal life every year. Maybe I don't, I don't publicize it. I don't make it known a lot. But at the end of every year, I try to identify the weaknesses in my life and see where I've grown in the past year and just kind of do some introspection at the year's end and make some commitments. I may not write them down and call it a resolution, but if I know where my weaknesses are, those are the areas that I want to focus on in the year to come uh, and strengthening those things in my life. And I want to do the same thing for the church. I, I, we, we've got a lot of good things going on. This is a great church, a healthy church, a loving church. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for all that God is doing, And but I also recognize that we have some weaknesses that need to be Strengthen. So I want to cast a little bit of a vision for you. And I want you to understand this. There are churches that were just as strong, just as loving, just as thriving uh, as we are. Um, they have been that way, but they're dying now. And, and I ain't going to go back and preach this series to you again. Um, but it can happen to us if we don't keep a forward-thinking vision and, and don't correct the things that we know need to be corrected. And I really believe the church that plateaus will never stay on a plateau. It'll begin a steady decline. And so we have to always be thinking about growing. Spiritually and numerically, we have to always be thinking about growing 
um, as a family, or we will be, or we will plateau, and then we'll take a nosedive and decline. And I don't want us to do that. I, there's too much to do and too little time to do it in um, for any churches to be headed in that direction. Now's the time for us to rise and shine. But in Mark chapter two, if you have your Bibles, this is not the first time I've preached this text here, and it won't be the last time. I'm not making any apologies for that. And um, I've preached it all over the state of Georgia. Every time I've been given an opportunity to preach a revival, this is one of the sermons that I typically preach. But um, it is a story or a miracle of Jesus um, that is recorded in three of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all recorded this story. And, And as far as miracle stories are concerned, it has that common miracle storyline in that when sick people are brought to Jesus, their life changes for the better. And that's the common storyline of all the miracles. When, when sick people are brought to or come to Jesus for healing, their life immediately takes an exponential turn um, for the better. The difference in this text and the other miracle stories this morning, in my mind, is that we see a little bit of the story of him getting to Jesus. We don't just see him coming and and being at Jesus' feet and receiving the healing that he wanted, but we see the story of how he was physically brought to the feet of Jesus. And that's what we're going to focus on this morning. In Mark chapter 2, begin reading with me in verse 1. The Bible says, And again he, and that's Jesus, entered entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noised that he was in the house. And straightway many were gathered together insomuch that there was no room to receive them, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. I'm going to chase a rabbit for just a second. (laughs) You can talk to a lot of people about a lot of things about the church, but the number one thing the people of the world need to hear about this church is that when you come here, you experience the presence of Jesus. Um, I, you, don't bra- you don't have to brag about the preacher You don't have to brag about the singing You don't have to brag about the youth ministries I'm not saying any of those things are bad things to do But ultimately the world needs to know That when we gather together in the name of Jesus That he meets with us And I believe when the world knows that Jesus is moving And manifesting himself in our midst They'll be drawn to him And we'll preach him to them But the Bible said in verse 3 That they come unto him Bringing one sick of the palsy which was born or carried by four and when they could not come nigh unto him for the press they uncovered the roof where he was and when they had broken it up they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay notice verse 5 I'm gonna let one of these other guys preach this but I'm gonna call your attention to it when Jesus saw their faith that is those four men that carried him When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? And immediately when Jesus, who was omniscient, perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason you these things in your hearts? Whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise, take up thy bed, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, he saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, 
take up thy bed and go thy way into thine house. And immediately he arose, took up the bed and went forth before them all insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw it on this fashion. Now, this morning what I want us to do, what we're going to do, is consider the characters that are involved in this story, all of the main characters that are involved in this story. And we're going to lump a couple of them into groups, but I want us to look at the main characters in the story. And I want you to keep this in mind as we, go, as we preach through this text. I don't want you to just to think about the physical healing that this man received, although I know that's the most sensational thing we see in this text is this man stands up and walks. But the, but the greatest thing that happened in his life was not that he was healed of the palsy, but that he was forgiven of his sins. And so don't look at this just in the sense of it being a physical healing miracle, but that it being a spiritual healing miracle. Because I want you to understand that the greatest miracle that ever takes place on this planet is when a man is reconciled to God because his sins have been forgiven. So let's talk first about that helpless man. And I don't have a lot to say here. He was sick, very sick. The Bible says that he had palsy. You can look up the word and look up the disease yourself. Um, it literally meant that he was incapable of walking, that he was probably experiencing some form of paralysis uh, from his waist down. Now, um, I, I sympathize and um, feel sorry for anybody that experiences any physical disability. Um, but the truth is that today we have a lot of modern inventions that have made mobility a little bit more possible um, for people who couldn't walk, who can't walk, and for people who have other disabilities as well. I'm thankful. Listen, I believe every good gift comes from God. And when my, man gives God the ability to invent certain things that are helpful to us, I consider that a gift from God and give him the glory for it. But if you look back in the day that Jesus lived in, people that were lame, people that were paralyzed, people that had, that had palsy would have likely been very, they would have been incapable of going anywhere on their own. Um, and I mentioned a story, I believe it was last week or the week after, about um, after Jesus' ascension and Peter and John were going to the temple to pray. There was a man there, the Bible said, that had been lame from his birth. And they carried him every day to the gate of the temple so that he could beg for money there um, to sustain his life. Um, had somebody not carried him there, he would not have even had the opportunity to go and beg. So in this day that this man's living in, um, he was essentially helpless in that there was no way, even if he heard about Jesus, even if he knew about Jesus, there was no way um, that he could get to Jesus on his on. He was absolutely, totally dependent on somebody else getting him to where Jesus was. So unless somebody helped him, he wasn't just helpless, he was hopeless. He had no hope of getting to where Jesus was unless somebody stepped in to become a help to him. Now, there are people like him all around us in the sense that uh, that that their only hope, really, is in a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we, we try all kind of programs. We, call, we try all kind of things. We, we, we make all kind of efforts outside of that. But really, the best hope that anybody has in this world, and I will say this, the only hope anybody has in this world of being forgiven of their sins and being reconciled to God is to be brought to 
the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no other religion that offers that. And there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So there are people like this man all around us whose only hope is in Jesus, um, but they do not know how to get to him on their own. Now, I, I think some of us have a hard time understanding and believing that because we live in the Bible Belt, but I'm here to tell you there are people around us that have never heard a clear presentation of the gospel. They may have heard about Jesus. They may know something about Jesus. They may even believe who Jesus is, but as far as them getting to where he is and having their life transformed by him, they can't get there by themselves. They can't get there on their own. And like this man, their most pressing need, whether, whether they're addicted to substance, whether they are battling depression or anxiety, whether they are um, physically sick or spiritually destitute, um, the answer to their life's problems is to be laid at the feet of Jesus and be reconciled to God by the forgiveness of their sins. But instead of responding to this helpless man's need, there's another set of characters in this story that didn't help him at all. In fact, they stood in his way. Different characters, different groups. And the second group is what I want to look at before I do, though. It is the hindering crowd is the one that we're going to look at for just a second here. Uh, I'm much appreciative of being a part of this church, of being a part of this team. Uh, when I talk about team, I'm talking about Brother uh, Keith and Brother Chris and myself, the ministry team. But it goes further than that. There's so much more than that is we all make a team. We make a team for the kingdom of God, and we work together. And that's what I enjoy doing, us working together. I have the opportunity to work together with the kids, and I love it. And I love them. Uh, I love playing with the kids. Uh, uh, and that's important. You know, it is important that kids have fun when they come together. But you know what? The most important thing, and I do realize that, is they have a spiritual need as well. And that's what I try to import, pour into that need in their life and I appreciate you having confidence and praying for us and supporting us uh, thank you very much I want to look at the the hindering crowd okay a group of different group of people were here that day Jesus uh, a lot of people had heard about Jesus and what he was doing uh, a lot of people were interested in Jesus and seeing him and and listening to him he had I don't know if this is the right word to say. He'd become somewhat of a celebrity. He'd become important. and People wanted to, to see him. They were drawn to him because there was something different about Jesus. And here we see this day in this particular house that a lot of people had heard Jesus was going to be there. So a crowd had gathered, and the Bible says the crowd had gathered so much that they could not take this man that needed help in to the presence of Jesus because there was a crowd that was crowding them out there was some people who were there to see Jesus and you know I, I think that some people were there just because they were interested in what he had to say but they had no intentions of changing so what I want to look at just a second is the hindering crowd the first group I want to look at is just a group of folks that were probably non-believers and I'll, I want to try to associate this with a crowd today also that will try to hinder 
the work in the kingdom of God. And, and we all know those type of people. We, we probably may work with some of them. We may go to school with some of them. We, we may sit under some of them. Uh, we may be friends with some of them. You know what? There is a crowd, though, that enjoys a lifestyle of sin. Do you know that? That sin, there is pleasure in sin, and, and people enjoy sin. And if they didn't enjoy sin, why do people do it so much? And they enjoy the fun part of sin, but when the dividends start coming around and it starts tearing things up and tearing things down and breaking things up, when it gets hard, that's when it's bad. And it's, it, it's bad, but those same people will go back to that same sin and they think, well, there's freedom for just a few minutes. There's freedom for a time. There's a better relationship. I won't get caught up in all the bad stuff. But you know what? There's a crowd that enjoys uh, doing what they want to do themselves and not worried about what anybody else. But you know what? Those crowd of people also don't oftentimes don't want to be by themselves when they partaking in sin and that's how I used to be I wanted a group to be with me uh, you know I wanted a group to be around me that was doing the same thing that Edward was doing before he became a Christian and you know what this is sad to say I, I I've probably used this illustration before I remember a buddy of mine that worked with my dad that come in one morning and told me he had gotten saved he became a Christian. He had changed his life. And I said to myself, you know, that's not what I want to hear. Because here he was, my buddy, and he was doing the same things I was. And I didn't want him to change because I, would, I didn't want to be convicted when I was around him. So I made it my goal to tear him apart, to discourage him, to bring him back to my level, where I was at, where I was living at. And sad to say, you know what? It wasn't long before I had him back. We were doing the same thing. And you know what? It makes me feel terrible. It does. And whenever I became a Christian, I went straight to that guy and told him, you know, trying to convince him otherwise because I felt so bad. There are people, young people most especially, there are people that will hinder your walk and hinder your faith, and they don't want to see you do good. They don't want to see you do any better. They want you to be a part of their crowd and they want to hinder the work of God. That, that was a part of the crowd that I want to look at, a hindering part of the crowd. But also I want to look just at another group. There were some Pharisees, some scribes. You know what? They had a responsibility of teaching the nation of God about God and leading them into a relationship with God. That was what the religious leaders were supposed to do. They had a great responsibility. And we have a great responsibility today too. And I don't take it lightly. We have a great responsibility as a Christian, you know what, to let our light shine. Okay, so what I want to see is though they had a, a large responsibility. And when I, when I look at today, when I look at our church, when I look at our society today, pastors and, and teachers and leaders have a great responsibility, but you know what? Just as much a responsibility as parents. Parents have a great responsibility because you know what? The kids that, that you are privileged to have as a gift are really not your own. 
Okay, God has given them to you for a time for you to be able to raise them in the admonition and the nurture of the Lord and bring them up into and become a Christian. Be, bring them up and become a shining light. And you, we, never know the opportunity that God gives to us that of what one person that you've poured into. And I'm, I'm not talking about just teaching, and that is a part of it instructing and teaching and encouraging them but one of the biggest parts of it is being an example before them there is no perfect parent you will make mistakes but you know what great opportunity because God calls us gives us a lot of responsibility but he empowers us as well. It's not that we have to do it on our own. The Holy Spirit is there to empower you and equip you and help you. And I'm not trying to put more pressure on you. It's a great responsibility, but it's a great opportunity as well because God wants to uh, empower you and help you. God wants to use you as a parent to lead your children into a relationship with God. And that's one of the things I tell you often whenever I baptize kids is that, you know what, I, I think it's a, a great thing when a parent leads their kid into a relationship with Jesus Christ. I love to do it, but I think it's a greater uh, opportunity for a parent to be a part of that, uh, to lead them. And it, you know what, that's what God wants. God wants us not to be a hindrance, but be a help and encouragement and a lead in. And then the next group I want to look at. We have a great responsibility. The next group I want to look at. I reckon it couldn't be a group. Maybe it was an individual, but we can compare it to a group. This day, this man who owned this home, he was the homeowner. Here was Jesus was coming to his house. How good would that have been if Jesus was coming to his house or to your house? Jesus is coming to my house today. I'm going to tell people to come over and to visit. Jesus is coming over. Here he was coming to my house. How excited he must have been and, and enthused. And man, it was a, going to be a good day. And here we had a crowd of people. But let me ask you this. If somebody come up to your house, they took a sledgehammer and a pick, and they started busting a hole up in your roof. They'd probably have some bird shot in their behind, wouldn't they? Jesus is coming over, man. This is going to be so good. What, what's that noise? I hear something shaking. I hear something. Then you start seeing dust, and then the, there becomes a hole in the roof. You know, their houses were made out of the clay and straw and wood, and they walked on it. And here these men were coming in. Oh my goodness, they're tearing my house up. I'm glad Jesus is here, but do you know what that's going to cost me? I don't know if the cost is worth it. You know what? Brother Keith has shared his vision with us. This week is evangelism, seeing people saved. When people come out of the world and become a Christian... You know, sometimes it gets messy. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it gets hard. Sometimes you may wonder, I don't know if it's worth it. 
there's a lot of missionaries. Let me, there's a lot of missionaries who depend. You know what? We're all here. We fit together as pieces in a puzzle. And I heard somebody use that the other night. I can't remember who it was, but as pieces in the puzzle, the work in the kingdom of God, God wants to use you. God wants to use me. God wants to use us. We can't do what somebody else can, but we can do what God calls us to do. Sometimes it's costly. You know, it's it costly for missionaries that are overseas that can't work, and you know what? It gives us the opportunity to support them. And that my... Since I became a Christian, God's laid that on my heart to, and I'm not saying I do it enough, but I've learned the principle of giving, and you can't outgive God. That's right. My former church, I was blown away, and by this church as well. How the more they give, the more received, and then the more they give to help other people. I, I was astounded. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't understand it, and I still don't know today, but I know it's true. God has blessed us financially. We had to call a business meeting because we were over budget to be able to give to other. And, man, I love that, and I love being a part of that, and I'm glad this church is like that. And if you are not a part of that, you know what? You will have an, opp you have an opportunity here today. Let's not hinder the work of God. Let's take the opportunity that God gives to us. The responsibility and the opportunity of being generous. You know what? There was a crowd, and there's a crowd today that will try to hinder the work in the kingdom of God. But God gives us power to overcome the enemy. If God is on our side, who can be against us? And with that, I'm going to turn it over to Chris. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. I got the helping friends, uh, the helping friends. Uh, I'm going to give you some sub points, and I ain't going to be long, I promise. I know Gonzo's probably disagreeing with me. Um, but the, the first sub point in these helping friends is recognizing the need. Recognize the need. That's what these four friends did. And, you know, before I even jump into that, you think about friends, and I tell the teenagers this all the time, but those folks that you surround yourself with, that they call, that you call your friends, even as adults, I can tell the teenagers all day long and these kids, um, but it's vital even for adults, the people that we surround ourselves with, that they're Christ followers, that they're grounded in the Word, um, and that they're going to hold us accountable and teach us and help us along. But the first thing these four friends did, this is an incredible story, um, if you really go and read it and study it, but recognize the need. Um, you know, I did some research, and I have to believe that these four men, I didn't see this anywhere, but I have to believe they were Christ followers. I do. Um, and they realized that this paralyzed man, they realized he needed spiritual healing as well as physical healing, and they knew the one who could meet that need. Um, they knew the source to go to. But that's one thing we got to do oftentimes. We just got to recognize that need. And you know what? Sometimes when we do recognize that need, I'm afraid we go to all the wrong places over and over and over again. But just like these four men here, um, they knew who to take this man to. They knew they couldn't help him in and of themselves. They didn't have the power. 
um, to do so, but they knew a man who could. Um, so the first thing they did was they recognized um, the need. I want you to keep in mind too, Brother Edward mentioned that this man, this paralyzed man, he was, like Brother Key said, he was helpless, but in and of himself too in this period of time, he was probably an outcast in society. Um, the Apostle Paul said, he said, bear one another's burdens. Um, I don't think we do that often enough. That's the first sub-point there. The second sub-point is this, rose above the crowd. Um, these, these helping friends, they rose above the crowd. What do you mean? Um, you know, when they get to this door, um, I mean, all again, like Brother Edward, Edward said, you know, he was, people kind of looked at Jesus at this time like he was a celebrity. Um, you can read earlier in chapter 1 and all the miracles he performed, the healing that took place. Um, he cast out demons, all these things. So they're, they're here. Why they're here, we don't know each individual's reason. Um, but they rose above the crowd. When they get here, to, when, when they try to move in the house um, with this paralyzed man, they couldn't get in because it was so crowded, right? So it would have been easy for them to just turn around and say, you know what, ain't worth it. I ain't, I ain't fighting it. I ain't doing it. Um, how many times do we just quit in our own life when the going gets tough? We just quit. Um, but I want you to understand this. These men put their faith into action. Um, they didn't just say they had faith. They, they brought this man to Jesus' feet. Um, they were determined. Um, they carried this guy, and like Brother Edward said, if you think about this, I did a little research. Um, most of these houses were flat top, these roofs. They had a stairwell that led to the roof um, in, in most of these homes during this time. Um, but think what these men went through to get their friend to Jesus. You talking about some faith? That makes me realize how much sometimes my, la my faith lacks. Um, how little that I have. The Bible talks about having the faith of a mustard seed. Um, but they lowered this man to Jesus. Why? But, but I really believe because they knew Jesus could do something for their friend. Um, they didn't have any doubt. Um, I believe their faith in Christ, these men, these four men, these four friends, allowed them to proceed, to carry on when it got tough, when obstacles got in their way. Like Brother Edward said, I'm afraid oftentimes that other people hinder us. This crowd could have easily hindered these men. They could have just turned around. They could have just quit, said it ain't worth it. But they realized again that it wasn't just about physical healing. It was about spiritual healing. I want to ask you today, is someone, getting, is someone keeping you from Jesus? Third sub-point, removed the obstacles, all right? Um, do you realize sometimes we got it pretty easy in America, in the church today. Um, you can walk through those doors and come worship anytime you want. Um, you can come to any service you want to be a part of. And oftentimes, you know what? We wake up, and we've had them days in my house. The boys, man, it's tough. Can't get them dressed, can't find socks, shoes. Um, can't get our teeth brushed. I mean, we all have those mornings, but oftentimes we let little things like that get in our way, those obstacles. Listen to me. You realize what these men did? They literally removed the roof. That's how bad they wanted this man, this paralyzed man, to have an encounter with Jesus. Why, you might say? Because I believe these men had had an encounter with Jesus. I believe they were Christ followers. I believe that they understood and knew what Jesus could do for them because they had experienced it themselves. So they lowered this man down on this mat um, to Jesus. I want to ask you today, are you willing to put in some work to meet with Jesus? Will you do what it takes? Fourth sub-point here, they laid him at Jesus' feet. Most important point I have, if you don't hear nothing I say, listen to this. They laid him at Jesus' feet. 
Listen, I believe sometimes we just got to get at the feet of Jesus, period. All of us reach those places in our life. I, I Listen, I have them all the time, it seems like. Sometimes I just need to come to this church and lay at this altar and, and bow at the feet of Jesus and, 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 and enter his presence. Why? Because, you know what, he's my heavenly father. And I tell you, there's just something about when we enter his presence, when we bow at his feet, man, it's amazing the peace, the comfort that he gives you, that he gives me. And it's incredible as Christians that we can experience that. Um, I believe this. We got to, just like that verse of Scripture says, we got to trust and believe that He can do exceedingly and abundantly more than we could ever think or imagine. You know, I think oftentimes, and you, you can speculate here as I was reading and studying, you know, was this man, was he paralyzed as a result of his sin? We don't really know. It doesn't say. And it really doesn't matter. Um, but I do want you to understand this, though. The faith of these friends. You know, if he, what if he had friends like you and I are sometimes, this paralyzed man? Would we have been willing to do what it took to get him to Jesus? What if we had that same power, that same, not power, what if we had that same passion that he had? What if we, what if we wanted everybody else to experience um, what we had? And listen to me, the forgiveness that comes by faith is what's most needed here, period. Um, it's, it's incredible to me that he didn't say, you know what, they, they were expecting this physical healing, but he looked at him and said, your sins have been forgiven. And he can do that for each one of you here today. Your sins have been forgiven. See, I believe he was dead. I, I believe he was helpless, just like Brother Keith said in, the, in, in this when he, when he did his point. This man was helpless, all right? He was paralyzed physically, but I also believe he was paralyzed spiritually, all right? He was dead in his sins and his trespasses. That's what the Bible teaches. Um, in fact, I'll say this. He was hopeless. He was helpless. But through the work of Christ, he was able to forgive his sins. So listen to me. When Jesus saw these men's faith, he met this lame man's most pressing need. And no, it wasn't that he got up off that mat and walked out of there. It was that he forgave him of his sins. And that he now had a home in heaven eternally, forever. I'm going to leave you with this before I um, tell you a little bit about my vision. I found this, this quote. I don't know who coined it, but it says this. True friends aren't the ones who make your problems disappear. They are the ones who won't disappear when you're facing problems. Do you have friends like that in your life? I learned real quickly in my life who my true friends were. I got very few of them just the reality of it that's going to be there with me through thick and thin but i got some i can call on any time day or night and they're going to be there for me there i can call them just say hey i'm struggling can you pray for me they're going to pray for me um they'll come to me that's the kind of friends we need that's the kind of faith um that we need to have i want to ask you today are you faithful are you dedicated friends who will pick up carry go around climb up and get and, and dig down to get others to jesus are you that kind of friend today if you're not, I want to encourage you to be. Listen to me. Faith, we can all say we got faith. Um, there's a lot of people in this world that profess to be Christians, but to say that we have faith, to say that we're a Christ follower and to live that way is two different things. And that's what we got to do, faith and action. Faith and works, they work together. Um, as far as the vision for youth ministry, um, I'll tell you this, and I say it all the time, but I'm very grateful. Um, we've, we've, we've grown exponentially spiritually um 64 kids i think we had our last team night that's great um but i tell you it ain't nothing to do with me i'm thankful i have so many people who help me and i'm grateful for each and every one of them um angie busts them here hunter and amber and barry and felicia and scott and brother edward and, and so many more 
Um, I don't have to ask nobody to help me. I talk to other youth pastors. They have to beg for help. I got them lining up to help me. So I'm, I'm grateful for that. But, so, you know, listen to me. I believe it's important for all of us to be teachable. I'm still learning. I'm still growing. And there's a lot of things I can improve upon. And one thing I want to do a better job at, we had not done it since, since summer camp, but that mission work we did, it's life-changing. I want to do better at, at teaching our kids to serve others, not to be served, but to serve others. I want to do better in regards to that. Another thing, you know, some of these kids that come to team night, they're not part of our church family. Um, they might be a part of another church family, or in some cases, they might be unchurched altogether. So these kids, when they give their life to Christ, I don't want to just leave them where they're at. And sometimes it's easy to do that, but I want, I want to do a better job of discipleship. I want to figure out a way, even if it's not at this church, but to get them plugged in, because at the end of the day, we're all one body. Um, we're a part of the church, even if it's not here at Zion Hill. But I want to do a better job. I don't want to just leave them there, because if we just leave them there, it's going to be real easy for them to get right back into the world and fall right back into those same traps. But I want to disciple them. But uh, like Brother Edward said, I appreciate y'all's prayers. Y'all keep praying for me, and I appreciate all your support. I'm going to let Brother Keith wrap it up. All across America today, there are folks gathered up in churches. Everywhere, all, all across our land, there are some churches this morning that are just packed, and there are some that just a few people are gathered. And some of them are in church for the right reasons. Some of them want to hear what Jesus has to say. They, they, they really want to hear the word. Some of them know that the help that they're going to find, they find um, only in Jesus. They're there for the right reasons. And then there are other folks there for the wrong reasons. And, uh, you know, I hate to say this, but there were folks gathered up that day that were just looking for something to find fault about. And when Jesus spoke that word, they found fault. How can, he, how can a man forgive any other man's sins? Um, and and, and I, hate, I hate that this is true, but there are church folks that are part of the crowd that's hindering. Um, I heard a report from a young man just a couple weeks ago that we help in his ministry um, who had another church um, that he had looked to for some help and um, significant amount of money um, that had been given years ago that was put away and um, literally became a contentious issue whether or not they took that money out of a savings account and invested it in the ministry. And when they did invest it in the ministry, it came with all kinds of strings attached to it. Like they, for the long term, they gave a gift, but they want to be able to micromanage every way that gift is given. Can I tell you that's a hindrance? That's a hindrance um, to the work of God. It's standing in the way. Um, there are churches out there that simply want to grow a bank account. I mean, their goal is to see how much money they can set aside in the bank and, and, and lean back on as a nest egg. That's, that's a hindrance. That's not a help to the kingdom. That's a hindrance to the kingdom. And uh, there are people that, that are sitting in church every Sunday that want to control every aspect of that church, um, including who comes in the doors. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Whatever those folks were that were gathered up at that house that day, whether they were there for the right reason or the wrong reasons, there was a man that needed to see Jesus that couldn't get in through the door or the window because they stood in his way. 
Now, now, there are one or two things true about those folks. Either they did not know this man was trying to get in, they were oblivious to his need, or they knew that he had a need and didn't care. They didn't open the way for him. They didn't make it easy for him. But I'm thankful that this man had those friends that didn't, that didn't quit. Literally, we're going to get beyond the crowd whatever it takes for us to get beyond the crowd. They, Chris said it. They knew that what he needed was, was at Jesus' feet, and they did not, would not stop until they got him there. Man, the world needs some Christians like that today that understands the need of the addict is to be at Jesus' feet. The need of the depressed is to be at Jesus' feet. The, the, listen, the needs of this world, the problems of this world can be solved at the feet of Jesus. And, and I, listen, I, I'm going to talk to you about the healing Jesus because I believe this is true, that Jesus is the first and foremost answer to every problem that this world has. Because all the problems of this world are ultimately related to sin and the curse of sin that's been pronounced on this whole creation. And Jesus is the cure for the curse of sin. And, and the first step of that cure is to justify us before God, to reconcile us to God by forgiving us of our sins. Um, but this Jesus, and, 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 and uh, Chris made reference to it. You just read a little bit ahead of this. Read all the gospel accounts ahead of this miracle. This is the man that when he spoke to fishermen and said, um, I'm going to make you fishers of men, follow me. These men left their livelihoods. This, these men left what they did to make a living to follow Jesus. This man, when he came across a demon-possessed man that nobody else could do anything with, that, um, that was confined to the cemetery to cry and cut himself with stones, who had a legion of demons dwelling in him, when Jesus told those demons to get out, they got out. This is the man that they brought the blind to, that were blind from birth. And one man said, I don't know. I don't know who he is. Um, but this is what I do know. I was blind, but now I see. And, and, and the source of my healing came from his word. When Jesus is present in people's lives, when, when they brought the deaf to him, that could never speak, they spoke. When they brought the lame to him that had never walked, they walked. And Jesus has alone, solely, he is the only one that has the authority and ability to forgive people of their sins and restore them to spiritual life. He is the only one that can do that. Regardless of what some people teach, let me tell you something, there's not a priest in this world that can forgive your sin. There ain't a preacher in this world that, for, that can forgive your sin. You can come and confess your sins to me, and the Bible says that we should confess our sins one to another. But your confession to me won't heal you. Your confession and faith in Him will heal you. But I want you to understand, Jesus moved in this man's life because He saw the faith of His friends at work. Now, I believe that man also exercised some faith in doing what Jesus told him to do and trusting that he could get up and walk. But Jesus moved in this man's life because of those other men's faith and brought to him the thing that he needed most, which is that spiritual healing. 
Now they questioned his ability to do that. And Jesus said, I don't know what's easier for you. For me to say your sins are forgiven or to take up your bed and walk. I can do either. And so I'll do both. He forgave his sins. He told him to take up his bed and walk. And the man walked out of the house that he couldn't get in. And the Bible said they all saw it and said, glory to God. He validated that I don't only have the power to forgive his sins, but I can heal him and send him out as a living witness to my power and authority. People's lives are changed when they're laid at Jesus' feet. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He can still do what he did. So if this man lives in your neighborhood and you know that he needs Jesus more than he needs anything else, what role are you going to play? What part are you going to play in his life? You going to stand in his way and hinder him or are you going to help him? And I will say this, if you're not going to do anything, you're hindering him. Some of you folks be very familiar with this story, and I've, some of you were here as a living witness to it. Brother Johnny Walden, one of the deacons of the church, was a mail carrier, city carrier by occupation. He picked up a fellow one day. He, he was delivering his mail route, and, and postmen are not supposed to do this, but Brother Johnny's gone to be with the Lord, so if the postal service wants to take that up with with, with with whoever. Mail carriers ain't supposed to read your mail. Not even a postcard. We're supposed to read that. I did it for a while. You're supposed to read the address. Put it where it belongs. You know postcards are usually one-sided or two-sided only. You can, you can read the address on the front, flip it over on the back, and you can see what they're writing to each other. And, and, and in spite of what you might think, I ain't reading your mail. <laughs> even if I feel like I'm preaching to you sometimes, I ain't reading your mail. But Brother Johnny read his mail. And it was a postcard addressed to the Reverend Ike. And Johnny always cut up with me and called me Reverend Ike anyway, so it was kind of strange. Johnny said, I might have read it because I thought he was writing to you. But <laughs> on, the, on the back of that postcard, in barely legible handwriting, it just said, please pray for me, I need help. And Johnny knew the man that lived in the house. Like Johnny, he is a Vietnam veteran suffering from some extreme post-traumatic stress disorder and lived his life as, a, as, as an alcoholic, not just an occasional drink, but drinking himself into unconsciousness. And Johnny said, I saw him often just laying in the yard, passed out drunk. He lived in squalor, just filth. He had lost his marriage, lost his relationship with his children many years before because of his alcoholism. Johnny said he backed the Jeep up, went to James's door, knocked on his door, said, James, we having a revival tonight. I read your card. If you want to go to church with me, 
I'll come get you. Johnny brought James to church that night. You could smell him from the front of the church, and he sat in the back. I don't know when the last time he carried a bath, but I thought to myself, Johnny Walden rode in the truck with him. Went from Warrisboro to Waycross and picked him up because he'd long lost his license, had no vehicle. Brought him to church that night, and when the invitation was given, I saw a man run down the aisle. And I asked the Lord to save him, deliver him. And God saved James that night. He still fought some battles with alcohol. I ain't going to lie to you. He struggled. He'd, he'd do well, and then he'd fall off. He'd do well, and he'd fall off. But James loved Jesus. I know that he loved Jesus because when I'd go visit him, he'd always want to pray. And he'd always want me to pray for people that were like him. One day I went to visit James, and he said, Brother Keith, my, my brother's dying of cancer. His name's Jerry. He's in my mom's house in the living room on the bed, and if, if God don't heal him, he's not going to live long. And James said, I'm afraid he's lost. And I don't want my brother to go to hell. So I said, I'll go with you, James. I loaded him up in my truck. We went to his mom's house. We opened the front door of his mom's house, and his brother laid on the bed frail, pencil thin, cancer eating his life away. And, and uh, James said, Jerry, this is Brother Keith, and if you die like you are, you're going to go to hell, and Brother Keith's going to tell you how not to. <laughs> I thought, my Lord, I've never been introduced like that. <laughs> I didn't even know how to get my feet back under me. But I knelt beside that man's bed, and I said, Jerry, James has gotten saved, and he wants the world to be saved. And he's just concerned about you and where you're going to spend eternity. And I said, if you got a few minutes and you're willing, I'd love to share with you God's plan for salvation. He nodded his head that he was ready to hear. And before I got through sharing the Romans Road to Salvation, Jerry had tears rolling down both cheeks. And I asked him if he wanted to receive Christ as a Savior. And he said, absolutely. I prayed the sinner's prayer with him. That ain't my, it ain't that prayer that saved him. It's his faith that saved him. Now, his mom was a good woman. Jerry prayed to receive Christ that day, and I preached his funeral about two weeks after that. And about two or three months after that, I preached James's funeral. Somebody ran over him on the highway and left him laying in the ditch. His mom said the last thing she heard him say was, I'm going to Zion Hill. I believe James is in heaven today because Johnny Walton said, let me go pick him up and take him to where Jesus is. I believe James' brother Jerry is in heaven today because Johnny picked James up and James said, I got to get my brother to Jesus' feet. We look down our noses at people all around us in the world, but I'm telling you, all they need is what you and I need. They just need Jesus. A close, personal relationship with Christ.
Will we still have problems in our life? Just as sure as this world's cursed by sin, we're going to have a battle to fight until he calls us home. But if we have our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the good news is our sins are forgiven. So what part are you going to play? You going to be one of those friends that helps? Or one of the crowd that hinders? How does Jesus see your faith at work? When it comes to the lost that are around you, how does, he your, how does he see your faith at work? Does he see it in your prayer life? Are we praying for the lost to be saved? Or are we just assuming they won't ever be? Are you doing it with your lifestyle? I'm going to tell you something. The way that a lot of Christians live their life is the biggest hindrance to the gospel in the world today. And, and don't tell me I don't know what I'm talking about because I don't talk to many lost folks that say, if brother so-and-so's all right with the Lord, I'm all right with the Lord. Well, first of all, you got a misunderstanding of what salvation is all about. But I'm sorry that you see that kind of example. And that, that I'm, the world will pick out the worst among us to make their judgments. I have folks tell me when I was growing up, they would never set foot in the church that I was a part of because of one deacon who had a filthy mouth and was a womanizer that nobody wanted to talk about. It's a hindrance. But how does Jesus see your faith in the intentional efforts that you make to win the lost to Jesus? I believe we can have lost friends. But we ought not to be content to leave them lost. We ought to do whatever it takes to recognize that their greatest need is Jesus. And our greatest responsibility is to get them to him. Sometimes it means going and picking somebody up like Johnny did. Sometimes it means buying somebody a suit of clothes. Sometimes it means inviting them over to your house for table fellowship where you understand that that's where you become a friend to them that they can trust and you can introduce them to the centerpiece of your life who is the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you're that helpless man here this morning. I know that I reached a, t a place in my life where I just, I, I knew that my life was an absolute train wreck. I had tried and tried and tried and tried to beat my addictions on my own and the reality is, is I didn't really want to. I had an, an, an old nature that was conquering me. But I knew where my help was at because I had been taught the way and shown the way all of my life. And I'll tell you, my wife's prayers laid me at the feet of Jesus. My mom and dad's prayers laid me at the feet of Jesus. Even my kids were speaking truth to me. Zach especially, because he was old enough to hear his grandma and know what his grandma was talking about. So I knew where to go that night. If, if you've been hindered by some folks... 
I want to say to you, I'm sorry, because I've probably been a hindrance at times myself. But look past the crowd. Look past the ones that are not doing it well. And look to Jesus. I've done my very best to lay at his feet this morning as the one that can heal you. And the truth of the matter is, if you just hear his voice and trust him, He'll do for you what he did for this man. He'll forgive you of your sins. Whatever else he does with your life after that is icing on the cake. It begins with being reconciled to God. So I'm going to ask our musicians to come this morning. I, this year, this is my goal for Zion Hill. I want us to become more evangelistic. To see the lost saved. I'm grateful that we're seeing our kids come to faith. That's the first place that we ought to be making an impact in our family. I agree 100% with Edward. If, if we're leading the world to Christ and not leading our family to Christ, are we really succeeding? But I want us to go outside of our families and add new family. You understand that by leading a child that's not in church, like Chris is doing, I mean, he's ministering to teenagers on Sunday night, don't have any church affiliation. But if you can lead a teenager to Christ... There's a good possibility that teenager is going to impact his family. And and you know what happens when a when a daddy gets saved or a mama gets saved? You change generations to come. It ain't just one individual that comes to Christ. It's one individual that impacts a different circle of people. And that thing just can grow exponentially. And listen, I believe I'm living. I'm, I, I live. I grew up in a family that had at least three generations that I can look back who were stalwarts of the Christian faith. I was born into that family. I'm, I'm blessed beyond measure. There are other kids that have not been as fortunate. But you can change the trajectory of their life and of generations to come if you'll get them to Jesus' feet and raise them to bring others to Jesus' feet. That's how we change our world. That's how we turn it upside down. So, so my, my invitation is three-part this morning. You may already be a committed Christian and a committed church member, but I'm going to ask you to make more effort than you've ever made this coming year to be a helping friend to the lost. And, you, and, and the only way you're going to really do that is, is make an intentional effort, first by adding them to your prayer list, but then by resolving to do whatever it takes to introduce them to Jesus by the way that you live and by the words that you speak. And, and sometimes it just takes a simple, won't you come to church with me this Sunday? I'll save you a seat and we'll go out to eat afterwards. Be that kind of friend. Listen, I got some lost friends. I'm telling you, I love them. Some of them I grew up with. Really close to. Some of them I met in the last few years. My heart aches for them to come to Jesus. I want him to see my faith through my efforts and for him to speak into their lives words that will heal them. Second part of the invitation this morning is if you're, a, if you're part of that crowd that's mediocre, you might be coming to church for the right reasons, but if, you're not, if you don't recognize that there are needs around you, then you're standing in the way of people that want to see Jesus. 
if, if listen, if there's somebody that works around you that's lost, if there's somebody that knows that you are a Christian and you belong to a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church that loves Jesus and they don't see evidence of Christ in your life and they don't hear you talking about Christ around them, you're not helping them, you're hindering them. Some of them know that you believe the only way that you can be saved is through the Lord Jesus Christ and you're not saying anything to them about your own faith testifies to them that you don't care about them. Come on now. It's a hindrance, not a help. And the last part of my invitation is simple this morning. And I say this every Sunday. God don't make me responsible for the results, but He makes me responsible to preach the gospel. And I want to just tell you this morning. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you're helpless and hopeless. Unless you can get to Him. And I would tell you this morning, walk, crawl, lay prostrate, however you can get there. Get to His feet. And make Him your Savior and your Lord. And He'll do for you what He's done for me, what he's done for this man, what he's done for Ever, what he's done for Chris. All he really wants out of your life is that you trust him and obey him. If you know who the helpless are and you know who the healer is, are you going to be a hindrance to them or a help in getting them to the healer? stand together Jesus I love you and I thank you for what you've done in my life and I thank you for what you've done through my life without you Lord I'm nothing without you I can do nothing with you in my life I can do all things because you strengthen me we're the vine you're, or you're the vine we're the branches and if we abide in you you'll bring fruit forth from our life I pray you'd help us decide this morning who we want to be if we've been part of the crowd that hinders let's shift sides God, if there's one here this morning that doesn't know Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, I pray they'd step out of the pew this morning any way they can and get to Jesus. Have your will and your way in this invitation, and anything and everything that you do, we'll praise you for it. In Jesus' name we pray.